0: Today I want to talk to you about baptism and and what it means. And we read from Matthew chapter 3 concerning the baptism of Jesus. And I think that there is some insight for the Christian and for those who have never been baptized into the life of Jesus. Why was Jesus baptized? What does it mean for Jesus that he was baptized? And then what does it mean for me? And I want to talk about this morning, but before I begin, I want to tell you the other day I saw in the news, in the Jackson Sun and in the USA Today, they had a video about a man who was dying in hospice. And if you can imagine, there's a lot of things, if you're at the end of your life, that you might want to to do some unfinished business, a lot of times We call that 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 list of things that we want to do. I've got my list. I've got to complete this list, bucket list. And we want to to complete some things in our life. And what was interesting about this individual is, is that one of his last requests, he's a man on hospice, he's dying, it's less than six months to go, and what he asked for was to be baptized. He wanted to get his house in order. He wanted to get right with God. He wanted to be baptized. And what was interesting was how much enthusiasm and joy was around these caregivers in this hospital trying to help this man who was dying get under the water. And there he was on oxygen being baptized. Baptism is a significant thing in the life of a Christian. It's an important thing. It's an integral thing to the plan of salvation. I want to talk about that with you today. It's been characterized as many things by many teachers. Sometimes we refer to baptism as a sacrament. It's been called that. And what it means as a sacrament is that it is a pledge. A pledge of something that I'm going to receive later. So baptism is a pledge to God and God's pledge to man of what the eventual outcome will be, which is salvation. Some have characterized it as an outward manifestation of an inner grace. And it most certainly is. Because it is an outward obedience and it displays the internal faith of a disciple inside. But that's not all it is. It's more than that. In fact, the Bible characterizes baptism as a commandment. Jesus said it very plainly. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be condemned. Sometimes people have looked at that verse and said, well, why didn't he say baptism on the end of it? Why did he just say belief? Well, because if you don't believe, you won't be baptized. Amen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It says that Peter in Acts chapter 10, 48 commanded them, there's that word, to be baptized. And it also likened John's baptism. Listen to how the Bible describes John's baptism, the one in which Jesus received. Listen, Luke 7, verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? That because the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected the the prophet John, rejected that baptism, they had in effect rejected the will of God. And also forgiveness of sins is associated with baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, forgiveness of sins. So, There's also that forgiveness. Do I need my sins forgiven? Yes. I need help with my sins. And baptism is that outward obedience in order to receive that. But Christ's baptism, what does it mean? Because obviously Christ did not have sins. But what He is doing is is that He is identifying with sinful humanity. He's a part of the story with us. He's not exempting Himself from anything that He desires from you. That He expects from you. He's not asking you to do something that He hasn't already done Himself. He too was baptized. But there's all kinds of deeper things that I want to talk to you about about the baptism of Jesus, what it reveals to us. Number one, there is a convergence of witnesses at his baptism. A convergent of witnesses. If you're going to believe something, a lot of times it's helpful to have more than one person tell you that. Amen? And I know that's true for you because here's what happens. Somebody comes to you and they tell you something that you don't believe and then you need another witness. So who do you go to? Google. You go to Google, don't you? He's like, hey, I, I respect you, but you know what? What you just told me is a little bit hard for me to understand, and, and I, I don't know if I buy into what you're saying, whatever that uh, claim is, that truth claim that somebody gives you. So what do you do? You go over into the corner a lot of times because now you can... Hey, check it. Well, I just checked Google, brother, and you're wrong. But having multiple witnesses help to establish a case, don't they? To establish the truth. In fact, in the Old Testament it says that at a, at a word, two or three witnesses will establish a word. And especially when it came to, to the death penalty. No one was going to die in the Old Testament because of one man's testimony. Because of capital offenses. No, it was at the mouth of two or three witnesses that establishes the truth of a word. And what you find in the baptism of Jesus is a convergence of witnesses. And the first witness is the prophets. And the prophets are represented by none other than who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this man, it says, who ate locusts. I'm hoping that's not going to be on the menu today, at our picnic. But he was this wild, aesthetic preacher preaching in the wilderness. He describes him as the last of the prophets. It says, the law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is the last of the prophets. And guess what he testifies about? Who Jesus is. And that's in keeping not only with John's testimony, but that's in keeping with all of the prophets. You see, there's hundreds of years of prophecies anticipating Jesus. One person once put it into the number of 191 specific prophecies concerning the life of Jesus, concerning His birthplace, His ancestry, His ministry, His character, His suffering, His resurrection, His ascension. And there John is, the last of the prophets, bearing witness to Jesus. The great thing about the Bible is is that it wasn't written in a vacuum. And in fact, not only do you have the mention of John the Baptist in the New Testament, but you have the Jewish historian Josephus talk about John the Baptist. Why is that important? Because sometimes the Bible gets accused of being this book of myths. Oh, they're just making up stories. But what you find is is that the story of who John the Baptist is is corroborated by a story, by a work outside of the Bible. Thus, once again, a witness to the truth of history. Here's what Josephus said about John the Baptist. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God and very justly as punishment of what he did against John the Baptist. For Herod slew him who was a good man and commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, but as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. Isn't that amazing? That is not written by a disciple of Jesus. That is written by a secular historian of the time who worked for the Roman government. Mentions who John the Baptist is. And what does John the Baptist say of Jesus? Listen to these words. It is He who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. It also says this in John 1.34. Listen to this. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Here you have this prophet that is venerated, respected of the people of the time, who's bearing witness to what? That Jesus is the Son of God. So you have the witness of the prophets in John. You have the witness of Israel. What's interesting about the baptism of Jesus, listen to this, is that it is a recreation of the Exodus story. Because in the Exodus story, what do you have? You have water, and you have wilderness. And when you look at Matthew chapter 3 and 4, what do you find? You see water, and you find wilderness. And the thing that happened in the wilderness for the children of Israel, did they have spiritual success in the wilderness? Did they have spiritual success in the wilderness? No. In fact, they were tempted... And in many cases, they fell and failed in the wilderness. And it likens the Red Sea in Scripture as to a baptism. Remember, their backs were against the wall. The Egyptians were coming. And all that was in front of them was the Red Sea. And Moses made the Red Sea to part. In 1 Corinthians, listen to how it describes Our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea... All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were totally surrounded by water. There was the cloud above them, there was water on the sides, and it says they were baptized into the into the waters of the Red Sea. The Egyptians were really baptized. But what came after the Red Sea? It was the wilderness. And they were tempted. And when we find Jesus in the wilderness in the next chapter, what happens to Jesus? The devil comes to Him after 40 days and it says Jesus was hungry. You would be too. And it's about food. Does that ring a bell in the Exodus story? Remember, they were hungry in the wilderness and they demanded of God and they demanded for food and manna was given. But they weren't always content They murmured against God many times because they weren't satisfied with what God had given them. And what does Jesus say when the devil confronts Him with hunger? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't even ask for manna. He is content solely with the will of God. So where Israel fails in the wilderness, guess who gets it right? Jesus representing Israel. Jesus representing us. Israel, it says, the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 14, they put me to the test ten times having not obeyed me. Remember, the devil took Jesus up and he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Whereas Israel fails, it says Ten times with the Lord, Jesus says, don't tempt the Lord your God. Also, with idolatry. Remember, Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He was up there. And he was given the Ten Commandments. And he got down from the Ten Commandments after receiving the Ten Commandments, the law. And guess what he saw? A whole bunch of people worshiping a golden calf. And what does the devil ask Jesus to do? Fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God. Where Israel fails spiritually, Jesus succeeds. There's the water in the wilderness. There is the witness of Israel that's speaking to who Jesus is. There's also the witness of this Holy Spirit. When Jesus is baptized, guess what comes down? It says a dove descends from heaven and sits upon His person. It rests upon Him and the Holy Spirit is there. And so you have the witness of the Holy Spirit telling us who Jesus is. That Jesus is more than just some teacher. But the Holy Spirit is resting on Him. And it's not only in that baptism that the Holy Spirit makes manifest. Because Jesus begins to do what? Perform miracles, wonders, and signs by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through those signs, the Holy Spirit confirms who Jesus is. How many of you can heal a blind man? How many of you can heal the lame? How many of you can raise the dead? How many of you know anyone who can do any of those things? The Holy Spirit is validating and confirming who Jesus is through those miracles. They were wrought through the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit. You also have the witness of the Father. After Jesus is baptized, what do you hear? The voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The voice of God confirms who Jesus is. Not only... Do you have these witnesses? But then you have the witnesses of the apostles themselves that go from this point preaching the kingdom of God because what was the qualification of an apostle? That they began in the ministry of Jesus from the baptism of John. So you have this convergence of witnesses. You don't just have one witness. You have five different sets of witnesses that converge on the baptism of Jesus telling us what? That Jesus is special. That Jesus is the Son of God. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? The first thing that it tells us about ourselves is is that number one, we have received that promise that the prophets talked about. We're on the other side of it. You see, the prophets and John the Baptist were anticipating the promise, but we now live in the promise and knowledge of who Jesus is. Hebrews put it like this. It says in Hebrews 11.39, All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, talking about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham... Moses, Gideon, David, all these have received a good testimony, but they did not receive the promise. you think Noah's a great guy? Do you think Abraham's a great guy? Do you think Moses is a great guy? But they didn't live with the promise. You live in the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Number two, Spiritual freedom. Just as Jesus' baptism was a recreation of the Exodus, we are spiritually emancipated through baptism. The Bible says that he who commits sin is the slave of sin. That once you go down sin's pathways, you become a slave to it. And there's only one thing that can emancipate you, free you from the bonds of slavery... And that is obedience to the gospel. When you're baptized into Christ, you can say, I am free from sin. When you're baptized into Christ, you can say, I am free from death. When you're baptized. What else does it mean for us? Just as the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in His baptism, there is a gift of the Holy Spirit for the believer. That's what it says in Acts chapter 2, 38. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God not only saves you, but He imparts to you the Holy Spirit to help you. It says in Romans, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that is our other point, that Jesus' baptism and our baptism also solidifies the fact That we are a child of God. Just as Jesus heard those words, You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. When someone is baptized, those same words apply to the one coming out of the waters. That when you are baptized into Christ, God is saying, You are my child. You have been born again of water and of the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? No wonder that man in hospice desired baptism. Because in baptism, we see Christ. In baptism, we see we are emancipated. In baptism, we see that we are a child of God. So, my question to you today is Have you been baptized? Sometimes people resist it. Some people say, well, you don't need it. Well, if Jesus was baptized and you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, why not do what Jesus did? Why not follow Him into the water? And it says that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It's in baptism that you receive His righteousness. It's where we connect that faith to a tangible point in time and where we commit our lives Or maybe you're a Christian today and you feel that your life is kind of stuck in that wilderness. And you need encouragement. Prayers of encouragement or prayers of healing. We want to give you an opportunity just as that man did to get your house in order, to get your life right. If you have any need, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.